A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company for this Thursday, October the 6th. My name is Cam Edwards, but uh, hopefully you know that by now. Glad to uh, have you with us on today's program. We're going to be looking at one particular race. We're just a few weeks away from Election Day now, and things are heating up around the country. There's a lot of actually really interesting polling going on. Uh, We wrote about a, a poll from Trafalgar uh, on uh, Wednesday at Cam and Company, showing the Washington State Senate race neck and neck. Uh, Patty Murray and uh, Tiffany Smiley, I think just two points separating the two of them. Uh, another poll released by Trafalgar today showing the New York governor's race and the New York attorney general's race. Uh, also, in essence, deadlocked within the poll's margin of error. Kathy Hochul up just uh, two points over uh, Republican candidate Lee Zeldin. Uh, and then uh, Letitia James actually trailing. Uh, her Republican opponent in her bid to win another term as New York's attorney general. Uh, again, I think this is going to be a um, look. Every election is the most important election that we faced. Right. And every year we hear, well, turnout's key. But it's true. I mean, look, I live in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Last year, we in what was supposed to be a a, a blue state. Right. Virginia had 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 sort of lost its purple status. It had been almost a decade since we'd elected a Republican governor. Democrats had taken over both chambers of the state legislature, and that was supposed to solidify Virginia's status as a blue state. Mm-mm. Last year, Republicans won all of the statewide offices that were up for election, governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general. They took back the uh, House of Delegates from the Democrats, and I think next year, frankly, are in pretty good shape to take back the uh, state Senate as well. So we've seen these sort of surprises before. And frankly, in Virginia, the Democrats' insistence that gun control um, was going to be a winning issue and something that they, it was their first legislative priority once they took control of all levers of uh, state government in 2020, that came back and bit them on the rear end in 2021. I think the same thing is uh, definitely a possibility in New York State particularly if those uh, upstate New York gun owners turn out in force on Election Day and cast their vote in favor of pro-freedom candidates. Uh, But we're going to be looking at a local race today down in Florida. It's a seat. It's a state Senate seat currently held by a a Democrat um, who is under a lot of criticism, as are Democrats statewide, for a campaign mailer showing her opponent on a shooting target. Yeah, I know. I mean, all this violent imagery, right? And you don't have to think too hard about what the reaction would be if the shoe was on the other foot. If this were a Republican candidate who had put his opponent on a shooting target, uh, the outcry that would have ensued, right? How dare you suggest that this candidate should be the victim of political violence? Honestly, the media in Florida has... Not really picked up on this story, with the exception of Florida politics. They've done a fantastic job of actually reporting on this controversy. And the latest update is that a a pair of uh, black central Republicans in Florida or central Florida Republicans, rather, uh, have come out and denounced this mailer targeting Corey Simon, a a former football star, played for Florida State, uh, as well as in the NFL. Uh, The mailer sent out by Senator Loran, well, sent out by Democratic campaign officials 
endorsing Senator Loran Osley. And uh, Osley was supposed to have approved this under Florida state law. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, as Florida politics reports, some say the mailer, which focuses on gun control and depicts Simon on a shooting target, calls back to a racist history of black men as physical targets or characterizations of black men as violent. Simon's campaign, local Republicans, the Senate president designate, and a Tallahassee area pastor have already denounced the ad, which was put together by a campaign arm of Senate Democrats run by Senate Minority Leader Lauren Brooke. On Thursday, Deltona Republican Webster uh, Representative uh, Webster Barnaby and Seminole Republican House candidate Bernie Jack, both of them are black men, became the latest to come to Simon's defense, with Barnaby saying, quote, the divisive, ignorant use of a black man for target practice has no place in civil political discourse. Going on to say, uh, quote, we hope that members of the Florida Black Caucus will join us in condemning this mailer and those who approved its creation and distribution. We may not say eye to eye on everything, but surely we can agree that the political disagreement should never include dangerous imagery of a black man being used for target practice. So this is the uh, flyer, at least one side of the flyer. Uh, on the other side, there are these cutouts of children backed by targets with bullet holes. The ad reads, don't let extremists like Corey Simon turn our schools into shooting rages. Uh, and then, as you can see on the flip side, there's Simon displayed on a target stand. You can't see, but they're actually shell casings scattered beneath the uh, target. Florida Politics says the ad was paid for by the Florida Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee that includes a disclaimer mentioning support for Loran Osley, uh, her fellow Senator Janet Cruz, and uh, Senate candidate Janelle Perez. Now, what's interesting about this, beyond the gross imagery that's being used here, is that there is some dispute as to whether or not Loran Osley actually did approve this, the campaign, as she was required to do under Florida election law. So the campaign committee that put this ad together says, oh, yeah, yeah, all of the candidates gave their approval. Well, this week, Osley and Simon are actually uh, at a debate. She was asked about this. And she said, quote, I have no control over what they send out. I do not prefer these campaign tactics. I don't think either of us do, but neither of us can control them, which is a lie. She absolutely can control what is sent out in her name with her approval. Because, again, under Florida law, she's supposed to approve it. And the campaign committee says she did approve it. They say, in fact, that it has written approval from Loran Osley, as well as the two other Democrats named in the ad. Now, Florida politics uh, asked to see those approvals. Uh, so far, the campaign committee in question has not provided them to Florida politics. Either way... I, I think it's fair to say that uh, this is an ad that is creating a quite a bit of controversy here. And um, I mean, look, I don't see any other way around it. One of these two groups of Democrats isn't telling the truth. Either Loran Osley and her campaign aren't telling the truth about whether or not they approve the ad or the campaign committee isn't telling the truth that uh, Osley approved the ad before they sent it out. Uh, either way, <laughs> one of those two groups of Democrats isn't being honest seems to me, with uh, Florida voters. Now, what about the ad itself? You know, again, this goes back to, uh, I mean, frankly, the, the fundamentals of the gun control debate. Make it about emotion, right? And why wouldn't they? We do care about our kids. We care about our safety. We care about the people we love. For many of us, that's why we own guns in the first place. 
for anti-gun Democrats, of course, the only way you can show that you care about kids is to restrict the right of adults to keep and bear arms. If you can prohibit people from exercising their Second Amendment rights, so goes the argument anyway. There'll be some sort of trickle-down effect on violent criminals. Now, that's not how things work in the real world, unfortunately. You know, in the 15 years or so that uh, Washington, D.C., actually more than 15 years, 76 to 2008, almost 30 years that uh, Washington, D.C. had its handgun ban in place, it had some of the highest homicide rates in the country. Baltimore, Maryland, where concealed carry has, in essence, been banned for decades, um, has had 300 years, excuse me, 300 uh, plus homicides for going on eight years now. This will be the eighth straight year for more than 300 plus homicides in a city that has maybe a handful of concealed carry holders. Now, that might change thanks to uh, the fact that the May issue laws in Maryland have been struck down. But again, for decades, nope. Legal gun ownership, very difficult to achieve. Uh, Carrying a firearm legally, impossible to achieve. Violent criminals continuing to prey uh, on innocent victims. Uh, Yeah, that's a commonality, unfortunately, for these regimes with uh, very restrictive gun laws in place. Uh, Additionally, in Florida, you know, the uh, state legislature actually did impose some gun control after the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland. But they also imposed the uh, Aaron Feist uh, School Guardian Program, which ensures that there is an armed response on every campus of every public school in the state of Florida, whether it is a a volunteer, maybe a retired uh, law enforcement officer, a retired uh, member of the military, or uh, current school staffers. But there is someone there on campus who can respond in case of an active shooting attack. Frankly, I think that is a um, much more uh, pragmatic approach, and certainly one that's more constitutionally sound, if the goal is to save lives, if the goal is to protect kids uh, while they are on these public school campuses. I think that's the way to go. Lorraine Osley, of course, doesn't believe that. Her fellow Democrats don't believe that. They believe that uh, instead we should be banning guns, including some of the most commonly sold firearms in the country. Uh, We should, again, be cracking down on those trying to exercise their right to keep and bear arms in the hopes that maybe there'll be some impact felt on uh, those cowardly killers who would target children. Uh, Again, from a policy perspective, I think it's a bad idea. From a political perspective this year in Florida, though, I also think that uh, this campaign ad certainly has a potential to backfire on uh, Florida Democrats. And as Florida politics points out, Osley is perhaps the most endangered Senate Democrat uh, I think her district, uh, it's still a D plus, but it's like, I think it's like a D plus three now. So in a election environment that favors Republicans, Osley could be given the boot. Um, and if that happens, if she's replaced by a Republican, by Corey Simon, and the Democrats do not pick up any additional seats, Republicans would have a three-fifths majority, a supermajority in the state legislature. Uh, And that, I believe, would be very good news for 
gun owners in the state of Florida. You know, Governor Ron DeSantis has talked about constitutional carry. Uh, we did not see a constitutional carry bill get a vote in the Florida legislature or even a hearing, frankly, last year. But um, again, the the more pro-Second Amendment candidates that are in place, the better the chances are that that will happen in 2023. So we will keep our eyes on this race. As far as I know, by the way, uh, Osley uh, and the uh, Democrat committee that put this out together, neither group has actually apologized. Osley says, well, it's not how I'd like to do things, but I don't think she actually offered Corey Simon an apology. She has certainly not demanded that the, not that I've seen anyway, that the committee pull this mailer. So, you know, they're, they're Osley saying, well, it's not how I would do things, but this is how things have been done. And so far, doesn't seem like Florida Democrats are backing down from the uh, racist imagery and the violent imagery depicting Corey Simon. There is the uh, target of shooters. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We're, we're going to start there with a case out of Florida, or excuse me, a case out of a Colorado, uh, where a murder case is raising all kinds of questions about the state's probation and parole system, according to the uh, Colorado Springs Gazette. I, 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 I wish I could say again that this was an outlier, but I, I'm not sure that it is. Adika Simmons. She's going to be in court this afternoon um, on murder charges. Uh, She apparently was arrested multiple times uh, over the past few months uh, on charges, including first degree murder. And yet, according to the Colorado Springs Gazette, her probation officer, quote, asked to have her probation regranted on two different occasions. When Deka Simmons was arrested in connection with two different crimes, posting bond just days before her arrest on suspicion of first degree murder. Uh, The Gazette says that further investigation shows that the day after uh, 38 year old Deka Simmons accepted a plea deal in Lincoln County and was released from jail, uh, this uh, individual, Daximo Seja, was killed in Colorado Springs. Deka Simmons, again, a, a suspect. Uh, and has been charged with the death of a seizure. But she was a a suspect, apparently, for several months before she was arrested. And the Colorado Springs Gazette says her extensive criminal background raises questions among some experts on how she was able to continue to be granted probation, revocation, and plea deals, despite those working with her insisting that she had not been rehabilitated and remained a danger to the community. Well, I'll tell you why. Because the criminal justice system is fundamentally flawed right now. It's not working, not only the way that it should, it's not working the way we expect it to. 97% of felony cases result in plea bargains, which means reduced crime. Also means that prosecutors in many cases will overcharge because they know that this case is going to end up in a plea deal. So throw the, uh, the everything but the kitchen sink at them uh, and then uh, offer them, you know, a, a more modest deal, which in some cases really is awfully modest. Again, there are no, <laughs> I have no trouble every day finding stories that maybe say, are you kidding me? Are you serious with this sentence? So this is not an outlier. This is not the exception. Cases like this, unfortunately, are the rule. And while I'm glad to see the Colorado Springs Gazette covering this story, I hope that they don't treat this as a one-off. 
And they really need to look to see how many more Dika Simmonses there are in the Colorado criminal justice system, because I guarantee she's not the only one. Now, today's armed citizen story, also from Colorado, where police say a gun and a machete were used in a uh, burglary in the uh, town of North Glen before the uh, teenage burglary suspects were shot by a homeowner. Uh, We still don't have a lot of details uh, about what happened this past weekend. It was Sunday afternoon. We do know that uh, apparently the two teenagers in question, uh, police believe, were also responsible for uh, burglarizing a nearby home in North Glen, Colorado, before they then moved on to this uh, second house. Uh, L.J. Percival and her son came home uh, Sunday afternoon, and she says it was clear that uh, someone had already broken in. So she called 911 and said, well, and and was told it's going to be a while before officers can get there because there's a, quote, more serious situation nearby. Um, That's when she learned soon afterwards that uh, that other serious situation was connected to her own burglary and that the burglary suspects have been shot and killed. Uh, North Glen police say that the two teenage suspects broke a fence after apparently breaking into Percival's home and burglarizing it. They then broke a fence to gain entry into the backyard of another home. Well, the homeowner was there at the time, saw what was going on, and police describe a, uh, quote, exchange of gunfire between the homeowner and at least one of the suspects. Again, the police say that uh, they had both a machete and a gun on them. Um, CBS News reports, by the way, quote, the Colorado Make My Day law gives homeowners immunity from prosecution if they kill an intruder in their home under certain conditions. Well, yes, including being shot at. That 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 you 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 do have your right to defend yourself if you're being shot at, and if somebody breaks into the backyard of your home, if they break down a fence to try to get into the backyard, odds are they're not there to sell Girl Scout cookies to you. Odds are they're there for your stuff, perhaps your life, and uh, yes, you you are justified in defending yourself. I don't know why CBS felt the need to uh, include the make my day law reference, because this looks to be a pretty clear cut case of self-defense. But uh, we'll keep our eyes on this story. If any more information develops and becomes available, we'll let you know about it. Uh, Finally, today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing at the Tulsa State Fair, an off-duty firefighter from Claremore, Oklahoma. A a good Samaritan able to revive a uh, individual who was uh, suffering some uh, 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 life-threatening health problems. Uh, This was over the weekend. Actually, I take that back. It was, uh, I guess, about a week ago. It was last Thursday night. Uh, Lieutenant Jonathan Cates was there at the Tulsa State Fair with his wife, Ann. And they saw a a couple, or or a crowd, rather, forming. Uh, So, uh, Cates went to investigate. And he said it was like a switch flipped in his head when he saw a man on the ground. He said, you fall back to your highest level of training. He said, uh, and for, you know, a firefighter, that's just what we do. That's our bread and butter. That's what the citizens want us to be able to do and do well. So we just jumped into action. We started asking questions that I normally start asking. He said, we didn't have some of the tools that I would normally have. So I was a little bit off the game, but I just got in there, started doing CPR, waiting to see, you know, who showed up first. Uh, Sergeant Scott Streeter with the Tulsa County Sheriff's Office was actually the first officer to respond to the scene. Uh, and his body camera shows um, Kate starting CPR compression. Uh, and uh, Streeter says, uh, do you want to take over? And uh, Jonathan Kate said, yeah. 
Streeter said, so I started on a chest compression shortly after that. His legs started to rise. I knew that whatever had happened, he started to get some reconsciousness to him. He said, I stopped the compressions, checked for a pulse. About that time, another deputy arrived. We both checked for a pulse, started getting a pulse, and uh, put him into what we call a recovery position. So even though uh, the uh, sergeant there took over CPR uh, from the off-duty firefighter, he says that if Jonathan Cates were not around, this individual probably would not have made it. He said, people all the time see things. They don't want to be a part of them. They just kind of look and keep going. He said, luckily, you know, he stopped. And if it wasn't for him, you know, the guy might not have made it because three minutes, a few minutes before I got there, him doing CPR for that time, that's probably what kept him alive. Jonathan Kate's wife, Ann, says it was wild to see him just jump in with that hesitation, saying he's always gone to the station. And I'm just amazed to see his work in action. Man is expected to recover. And uh, I hope that uh, Lieutenant Jonathan Cates got a turkey leg or, 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 or something just as a, uh, you know, little reward for being in the right place at the right time. We'll unable to do the right thing. But uh, certainly we thank him for his very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. We will be back with another edition of Cam and Company on Monday. But in the meantime, we're going to get you caught up on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information at BearingArms.com. And there is a lot to talk about these days. We really are in a supercharged moment for the Second Amendment. So make sure you're visiting regularly. If you like what you see, I would also ask you to become a uh, VIP member at Bearing Arms. In addition to showing your support for the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism we do there at the website and here on the program, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories and analysis you won't get anywhere else because your support really does matter. And it truly does make a difference. So thank you again. I hope you have a great weekend. Looking forward to talking to you again on Monday. Until then, be well, be safe, be free.